And good afternoon. It is 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and this is Finding a Voice, a spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up on the show today in the first hour... Uh, from the Monday, July 1st, final day of the three-day annual Poetry Festival, Poets at Art Fest 5. You'll hear readings by Mary Lee Bragg, Grace Dixon, and Pat Connors. And in the second hour from that same event and day, you'll hear readings by Abena Beloved Green, Chantelle Lavoie, and Paul Kelly. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. And uh, so to begin, uh, following now several weeks, uh, in fact over two months, I think, of airing from this event, today we'll continue with the remaining I shouldn't say the remaining but the close to remaining readings at that three day poetry festival Poets at Art Fest 5 uh, I should mention these readings took place from June 29th through July 1st and the festival poetry festival itself is tied to the much larger Art Fest Kingston 2019 I'm going to be able to air most of the balance of the poets, 55 poets in all that haven't aired today, but there will be a couple left over from last week. So to finish up, uh, I believe I was, I didn't quite, uh, wasn't able to play the last uh, poet in the, what would that have been, the third session on the last day. And last week, just there just wasn't room, so... We're going to go ahead and start off with that today. So from, I guess it would have been the final reading in the third session of the last day of Poets at Art Fest 5, three-day poetry festival, a first in it. Today, you're going to hear Mary Lee Bragg. Up next, Mary Lee Bragg spent her childhood in rural southern Alberta and was educated in Calgary with an MA at the University of Calgary. She has lived in Ottawa since 1981. Her career in the federal public service focused on official languages, notably 20 years investigating complaints of the Commissioner of Official Languages. <laughs> She is an active member of the Ottawa literary community and has won uh, several awards for her writing. Her novel, uh, Shooting Angels, was published in 2004, and she has published two chapbooks of poetry, How Women Work, in 2010, and Winter Music, 2013. She is married to uh, poet Colin Morton, and they have one son, Mary Lee's heart failed and she had surgery at the Ottawa Heart Institute in 2017. She will be reading from her just released new collection of poems, The Landscape That Isn't There. Spring up, Mary Lee Bragg. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. Oh, 
This is actually my book launch. I got this book last Wednesday and I particularly wanted to come and read on July 1st in Kingston because there's one poem in here that kind of summarizes it all for me. I'll just read it for you. We came down here two years ago in 2017 and had the experience that's described in here. Um, and so I felt it was important to come back on July the 1st and deal with that. It's called The Turtle on the 401. Anne-Marie uh, starts, in the oh no second before impact, it looks as eager as a turtle can look. Head stretched out, one front leg and one back leg raised. The shock travels from tire to floorboard to feet. The sound stays behind. It would be folly to stop, to start the chain reaction to hospitals, graveyards, prison. The metal river rushes and we rush too. So we don't stop for the turtle and no one stopped for the fox at Brockville or the two small raccoons at Gananoque. We continue to Kingston to read poetry in the park among the arts and crafts booths next to the First Nations tent. In that tent, I visit the basket maker, tell him that we killed a turtle on the road. His face scrunches. We agree in silence. He takes an artifact from the display case, lets me hold a century-old basket. He says he can see I will be careful. The basket, like a turtle shell, curves around its crescent hollow. Its handle is unworn, its color uniform. It has never seen the sun. We ask ourselves about the maker, what use she meant for it, why she stored it away unused. Each hour, our poetry MC acknowledges the unceded territory on which we meet. Turtle Island occupied paths at right angles. We didn't mean to do it any more than we intended to murder the turtle. We were on our way to poetry. So I've read that one a few times and I have actually had people respond to it. And after the reading, a man tells me with pride, I saved a turtle on the highway, took it home and kept it in my bathtub for a year then it died. <laughs> he is so pleased with himself, savior of turtles. He saved it from breeding, from 20 years in the swamp, saved it to scrabble at white porcelain in its own residential hell, beside the place where people shit. He meant well. We all mean well. But if the turtle could talk, it would say, So that's my acknowledgement, the unceded territory on which we stand. And there's a lot in this poem, this book about my uh, ancestors, about my people who were genuine, honest to God, sod-busting pioneers in Alberta. So I wanted to start with that acknowledgement. And I will now read the title poem, The Landscape That Isn't There, which will give you a little bit of a hint, I think, where this book goes. The landscape that isn't there. Yeah, the living room would have been here. 
My brother pauses in the lighting department of the hardware store that stands where our mother's house was. The city goes on the same as always outside the store. Blocks of little houses, lawns, shrubbery, and this store full of rakes, hoses, clippers, doorknobs. We're not even in the living room of that bungalow, but above it in the second floor department, seeking light, we hover over her home, conscious of what was, just as we still navigate by what isn't there anymore, turn left at the tree that shattered and fell during the ice storm 20 years ago. We look at bulbs, cords, and switches, what we seek for our houses, always half-turned, listening for a voice, a light step into the room of the living. So you know how in families there's a family narrative that goes on and people add to it and contribute to it. One of the things that has happened, I notice, is that there's a female narrative that comes down and one of the big parts of it is women telling other women about having babies. So this is called My Mother Tells Birth Stories. They are cliffhangers. Maidens strapped to rail beds while rescuers drag toward them, anvils chained to their ankles. First, her mother in labor. Imagine that corseted, dentured, white-haired lady, my grandmother. How she must have moaned, panted, opened her knees. A prairie blizzard kept the doctor away, and her husband, expert puller of calves, caught his red-haired daughter. He heated the china serving platter and put the bundled baby there to keep her warm. They named her Rachel, the lamb. A neighbor offered to take the newborn ninth. We always wanted to adopt from a good family and you have so many. Her own children are narratives, precious and precise as horoscopes where and when and how the stars aligned, which one started with a walk in the park, which one nearly died from anemia, which was followed by a brand new fridge or a visit from her mother, and I think you should make this one the last. Her children's children are delivered like reports of the blindness of a king. Cars speed, drivers swear off stage. She tried to keep her distance from the first, her teenage daughter's surprise. She didn't want to look until she saw as they wheeled her away, like a star, a tiny hand. So, Bruce mentioned that I uh, <clears throat> had heart failure not long ago, but I found I was actually writing about heart long before because there's a good solid family history of it uh, and I wrote this book actually before my experience or this poem before my experience this is called Hood the hood obscures his face he stands with his back to me holding what looks like a hockey stick he is always there but never near when he does turn I know some part of me will welcome him Proliferating cells will leap forward or others thin and break 
Perhaps even now, he watches the bullet fall off an assembly line or counts the clicks as I book a seat on that doomed flight. He has smothered children in their snowbank tunnels, extinguished mothers on their beds of labor, escorted heroes of the revolution to the guillotine or gulag, blessed my parents with heart attacks. I listen to my steady thump, diet and exercise, and take my meds. I am full of hope, but when he turns, I know it will be my heart that leaps. So these next three poems I'm going to present pretty much um, without introduction. I wrote them while I was going through a couple of weeks of very serious illness and was writing as a way of uh, coping with it. So I've chosen not to revise these poems a lot. Um, this first one is called Listen to Your Heart. Listen to your heart, they say, but why should I when it's such a lousy conversationalist? All it says is thump, or sometimes thump, 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 thump. That's the flailing mitral valve. I'm supposed to calm with subtraction. No coffee, alcohol, salt, smoking, no exertion, excitement, stress. Stay away from children, little bags of germs. No stores, concerts, theaters. But the heart has a little red mind of its own, doesn't like loss, whispers demands like a hostage taker ordering a ransom in small, unmarked bills. It wants to watch the late night news or the zombie apocalypse with beer and salty popcorn. It wants to dance but won't take me up two flights of stairs. It's tired of naps, Austin and Adagios and pays no attention when I slap the counter and say, I am so fucking sick of this. I am so fucking sick. Triage. It's not a line you want to be in the front of. Not like business class or a VIP pass. My cousin in California sniffs at your Canadian medical system when I mention a wait of months. Yes, I say if the homeless guy keels over panhandling, I get in line behind him. And yet, I elbow past, staring at the ceiling from a gurney in the hospital corridor. Electrodes glued to my chest say, she will pass, she must pass. Shortly after that, I got the call from the hospital, moving my surgery date up from next month to next Tuesday. And I wrote this. Mark the date. I am dying, Egypt, dying. Mark Anthony said that afternoon, three years ago, when we walked from the British Museum to the Globe and paused at St. Paul's for Evensong on the walk back. Now... I am in Act 5. Week by week, I ebb. I can't walk across the park, can't walk a block, can't go outside. A flight of stairs looms, unclimbable, between me and bed. It is fast, but slower than I expected. My father and his father dropped at work. My mother and her mother announced, I don't feel very well, I think I'll just lie down, and never rose again. 
In any century but this, I would put my affairs in order, plan my funeral, summon family, give them the last bits of wisdom from my oxygen-starved brain. But now, I contemplate these miracles. How Beethoven arranged black dots on paper to create emotion. How that emotion reliably lowers my blood pressure. How Miss Jane Austen's heroines, Elizabeth, Emma, Eleanor, all surmount their problems of the heart. How soon masked men will set my breasts aside to break my sternum and touch my heart. They will cut it, sew it, after taking a deep breath in, like my mother when she cut into expensive taffeta to make a wedding dress. And I think I'll just give you one more out of that series, you know, lighten it up. How I got from there to here was through rehab. First, the doctor said, don't move. No, move even less. Then the nurse with the clipboard followed me around the indoor track saying, move faster. Now, aquafit instructor, man bun with head bun, shows how he can break dance, kickbox, skip rope on dry land. He hits the deck, rebounds. In the water, we swivel, sluggish. It is 10 after. It is still 10 after. In his baggy shorts, the wedding tackle snakes and wallops, and it is quarter after. All of it ignored by those four ladies gently bobbing deep in conversation as if they were in a coffee shop with no table, no coffee, and no clothes. <laughs> I'm going to close with a very old, old poem. One of my alternate turtle titles, turtles for this, <laughs> was the collected works of Mary Lee Bragg because the poems in it go back, some of them, 10 years. And in fact, this next poem is in both of the chapbooks that I wrote. And I, uh, I still like it. Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't have put it in here. <laughs> a lot of stuff fell by the wayside, but not this one. This one is called In Your Dreams. You soar over rooftops, run light-footed across the park, bicycle down flowery lanes. You drove before you had a license or a lesson and didn't worry when road became sky beneath the wheels. Your son is always six and sweet in your dreams. Your mother always young and smiling. Here you sing all the verses of borderland ballads in a clear voice that never cracks. Last night there were four marriages. Tonight there'll be but three. You talk to the dead and the missing in your dreams. Ask them, why did you leave me? You hope to sleep long enough to hear the answer. There's more in the book. It's Mary Lee Bragg. Let's give her another hand.
And the four of them, Louise, Colin, Tia, and uh, Mary Lee, one more time. And you just heard a reading by Mary Lee Bragg, the final poet in the third session of the last day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Up next in it, and as we move into the fourth session that day, here is Grace Dixon. Grace Dixon is a poet and visual artist born and raised in Kingston and the Rideau Lakes. She has a passion for all avenues of art and has been blessed to have been introduced to the blossoming poetry community through working at the Elm Cafe. Inspired by writers like Kupi, uh, Rupi Carr, uh, John Cates, and several refreshing local poets, Grace finds tremendous power and beauty in the written word. Her first published work appears in the anthology Inspired Heart for Teens. Let's bring up Grace Dixon. All right, I'm not so good at projecting my voice, so this is going to be fun. Um, I have a few here. I'm going to start with some that don't really have any introductions. Project more? Okay. <laughs> okay, the first one is called Her. Her head, hectic and heavy, hot with hallowed hesitation, haphazard harmonies, heeding the hovering hurt, haunted by the heightened heft of her heart and hint of her. And the next one is called Reflections on Undesirable Bodies. So, um... Last year in, no, well, I guess this past year in November, I took a trip to Rotterdam um, to visit a friend, and I went to the art gallery there, and there was this piece about um, invasive species, and I really, anyway, I wrote this based on that experience. How vivid a metaphor, the parasitic nature. I hope I never drift and plant myself somewhere that isn't home. Claw through earth, soil crammed in the beds of my nails, hungry roots that suck the life out of everything around me, like some invasive flora. And this next one I wrote after living in different places. Um, I've sort of been someone who's never really known what's gonna happen within the next five years career-wise or whatever, really. And I'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that home is not necessarily one place. So this is called home. Every place I've ever lived houses a fragment of me. The trip-ups, the slip-ups, polished proclamations, unfinished obligations. The redeemed, esteemed minutes of goodness, love and falling in it, hurt and the curating of it, the times I danced with pride, the times I was above it, so much so that everywhere I am, I'm incomplete, missing ocean, missing city, missing people I shouldn't miss, a childlike faith, a corner where I felt safe, still, awake, 
real to the touch, the glitter-like glint of moments that are now ghosts, missing the scales I shed of myself. And one day, I will miss this. This one is called Paper Cut. I like the paper cut in the crease of my knuckle. I'd rather feel the burn of the phantom of a metamorphic heart than never know that I could break into so many pieces, so many parts. A cathartic travesty reminding me of potential mosaic majesty. This next one is called Liturgy. Well, that's the title for now. My mind still, still healing, your touch still peeling off, layers of a heavy chest, unpasteurized at best, trembling and remembering, gaping open, hallowed gallows, nicotine-scented pleasantries, but I'm asthmatic. The channel shifts to static. It's manic, erratic, electric jump start. It hurts, but I suppose it's meant to, or else I wouldn't know the change was coming. Drumming, humming me back to sleep. Just cradle me, floating cathedral vault ceiling, hanging over me. Iniquity in its antiquity. Our histories, your mysteries, how could someone dispose of me? Catacombs of the should-have-beens. I could have been, I might have been, thought I would have been. My tongue is swollen with seething, saturated silence. I plunge, sputter, and scream for something holy. Grace, I inhale. Grace, exhale. Grace is a funny thing. next one is called dissonance. Um, it's something that I've always been drawn to. I'm also a piano player and I love the suspended chords or the fourth note, the second note. Um, yeah. A taste for dissonance is tied to my ribs like the moon is tied to the sea. The salt water sting and its terrific beauty, ebbing, flowing, pulsing, lulling me to rest, to rest in the bitter, to rest in the sweet. This is called a sigh. Solitary subtlety, smiles soft, simple sadness soon forsake us, safe spaces, Shrinking sordid sight to savor scent of spring. This next one I wrote um, when I felt like I was investing in someone who wasn't really investing back. And I've had a history of trying to people please. Um, and sometimes I, I thought that it was a weakness. Uh, well, people-pleasing, yes. But um, when you love a lot or when you try and give a lot, it's not necessarily a weakness. 
some people just take advantage of it. So, um, this is called bouquet. Louder? Sorry. I picked a bouquet for you. For you and only you. Somehow it ended up in the ditch. I saw it there. Did you see me see it there? Itchy goldenrod thoughts. Teasing skin. I scratch until it bleeds. Mother doesn't slap my hand away anymore. Doesn't tell me to refrain anymore. Hot, labored breath. Predacious, petty flora. Smothered, othered, the cupboard has no vase to hold us. At least from a distance, this view, inconspicuous now, will soothe. You see, right now, I'm just too close to it. Bruce, I have more on my phone if I should keep going. Okay. I wrote this one, I think, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, and it's in my notes, and the title is just Thoughts on Time and Reluctance, 2019. I will never be on the same page. I am 50 pages ahead when some ubiquitously hopeful day skips along, but most often, I'm in between punctuation, some hundred pages back romanticizing a moment, rebuilding a room, reclaiming a story, simple but now sublime exchange of words. Gosh, I've got it right down to the very tone of voice. Funny how a moment that is dead awakens with more color in your head. Perhaps irrevocably inaccurate, but emotionally immaculate. Reveling in yesteryears, yestertears must be a thing. If I were to define them, I would say they taste sweeter. Of course, they must. My palate is mature enough to appreciate it. For that sake, I am glad I am not a child still. But such a pro against the plethora of cons isn't much of a victory cry. Adulthood is cold water on already cold skin. The past is a wool blanket. My eyes reimagine it. Faces I can nearly touch. I think I'd have sketched a picture if I hadn't been so late. Penned from memory, my eyes would be brighter. I'm a melancholy candle. I couldn't consume a wood stove if I tried. I'm not built to burn so fast. We both know my spindly legs, even at full sprint, get fed up soon enough. And I just can't always keep up with you. We've got just one more here. And this one is called To Be Honest. We say to be honest to start a heavy sentence like we aren't ever really honest. Do we save face and then have to announce our candor? 
for it to be as real as we hope it is? I find myself sighing, trying. To be honest, I'm tired of trying. Melancholic disclaimers, I'm finally about to be real. I notice you watch the heat rise up my neck, self-conscious of my trembling everything. I feel it till all I do is feel. Messy, mixed up messages. I'll loosen my grip. It will be at an achingly drawn out pace because that's the only way I know how. Slow, steady. Be patient because I'm slow at this. I'm slow to heal, slow to recognize that I can't tread water as long as I used to. I'm slow at everything these days. Slowly sorry I relied on my own strength, which to be honest, is fleeting and circumstantial. Selfish and not as providential as I thought. Forgive my fervent heart. It means, it means no harm and every harm all the same. And to be honest, I've never been more afraid of it. It bleeds at the slightest touch. I think it's broken half the time, cut open half the time. While I'm choking on the medicine, I feel adolescent, trying to swallow. To be honest, this heart feels hollow. I think I like to think the opposite is true. Underneath its erratic surface, it just wants beauty for you. And to be honest, I hope it hopes I weave through your head from time to time. Thank you, and that's everything. <laughs> Grace Dixon, let's give her another hand. And, excuse me, that was Grace Dixon in the fourth session of the last day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Up next in it, and in that same session, here is Pat Connors. Up next, Pat Connors. His first chapbook, uh, Scarborough Songs, was published by Lyrical America Press in 2013 and charted uh, on the Toronto Poetry Map. Part-time contemplative, his second chapbook with Lyrical America was published in 2016. He contributed 18 poems to Bottom of the Wine Jar, published by Sand Crab Books in 2017. His past publications include the Toronto Quarterly, Spadina Literary Review, and Sharing Spaces, a joint project of uh, York University and, and Terrace, is that right, Product, uh, publications. He uh, has recently been accepted for publications for publication by Blue Collar Poetry, uh, Lummox 8, and Tamaracks, an anthology of uh, Canadian poets released this spring in Long Beach, California, as well as uh, all over Ontario. He's the manager of the Toronto chapter of the 100,000 Poets for Change. Let's bring up Pat Connors. Thank you very much, Bruce. Thank you for that warm introduction. Thank you for doing this every year. Very grateful to you. This is one of my favorite things in all of poetry. The first poem I'm going to read for you is on uh, the Poetry Pause. The League of Canadian Poets have been doing a daily poem, and they actually did two of my poems in April. I'm very grateful to them for that. And I usually say that and uh, say this one in what passes for my inside voice, but we're outside and we have to fight acoustics, so 
The important thing is to be ready. A poem is the sunrise after darkest night, an unexpected answer to much fervent prayer. It is grace extended from a neglected muse, only asking to be shared and seen, heard and felt. A poem is inspiration quickly recorded before lost, cut down, built up, cut down again, until it is ready to be read. Thank you. We'll do the applause at the end thing since we're strapped for time, but very grateful. Thank you. Uh, so yes, uh, last year the uh, theme for 100,000 Poets for Change was to read a poem to a child. And I would already had this kind of fermenting inside of me anyways. Uh, this is my poem for 100,000 Poets last year, The Children. Don't blame the children. The way of the world is not their fault. It is my generation that has caused this mess. We used to believe in things like ban the bomb and free the whales until we grew up and got jobs and accumulated things. Love the children, even though they are so big and loud and youthful, they are also beautiful and fragile and they need our help. It's time to believe again. It's time to get beyond fear and comfort. It's time to feel something else before it's too late. Listen to the children. They are the future, and they know how to change and make the world better. Remember, we all once had this glorious hope. Now I'm going to read a spring poem. I'm going to read some summer poems, but the spring poem got nominated for, a, uh, for the uh, Lummox 8 Award, along with uh, another one of my poems, and uh, Bruce Meyer and Ellen Jaffe and some other great Canadian poets. Uh, uh, have been uh, shortlisted for that and I, I just got nominated for it but I'm still extremely excited by that this is springtime in Canada April snow billows and blows but goes nowhere with drifts just long enough to cause accidents which change lives forever blustery wet wind rattles rooftops topples and tears down trees older than the neighborhood around them and makes small dogs pensive but not big dogs. Springtime in Canada means we watch children play hockey on outdoor rinks, millionaires play baseball in dome stadiums, and say, I can't wait until it's really spring. It is planting seeds in unreceptive soil, hoping to make life out of nothing. Cold cracked hands, the mark of your labors, and you know that the trying is worthwhile. Now some summer poems. Inspiration. It took a sprained knee, swollen, stiff, and sore, to force me to take a Saturday off. No backyard barbecues or epic excursions to the bar. No ag agitated trips to a stadium to support one of my teams. No poetry readings, no requirements, real or imagined, other than to be here, to heal, and prepare for whatever comes. I sat as still as I could, held an ice pack to my knee, felt the breeze waft through the screen of the sunroom door, tried to clear my head, remember a time I didn't feel weak, took an anti-inflammatory pill, and wrote the first draft of this poem. Scenes from a Summer Afternoon. The young river washes cool water over the banks of the muddy shore. 
Above the mud, firmly rooted verdant grass climbs into a gentle slope. At the top of this hill, a tree younger than the river reaches toward the sky. Over the tips of the branches of the tree, the sun beams down light and warmth. On a blazing, bustling big city sidewalk, a woman guides a man in a wheelchair. They pass another man pushing a stroller, inside which a brother and sister sleep. Closer to the curb, a young boy extends the gift of a handful of change to a woman and her dog. Across the street, a girl with tears in her eyes gently places her teddy bear at a memorial. The blue bottle fly trapped in the blue bottle. Blue bottle fly trapped in a blue bottle. It had gone off course, disoriented by the heat of a summer night, the odor of a mosquito repellent torch, or the loud music of a backyard party. A boy up past his bedtime picks up the bottle to show the blue bottle fly to his sister. She cringes but doesn't look away, not the reaction he wanted. He reaches back to throw the bottle, ignoring his imploring sister, guaranteeing he will do it. The bottle twirls through the heat of the night air, through the smoke of the torch, vibrated by every pounding note of the loud music at the backyard party, further disorienting the blue bottle fly trapped in the flying blue bottle. Let's get that one. When my worlds collide. My world was always meant to come together, to have flow, unity, and coherence. Even as a little boy, I lived in many worlds. Problems always would arise when they would collide, especially when I forced them to. Now, I live in that flow. Embrace my reality, the uniqueness of who I am. I accept the differences of all the worlds in which I walk. I love each one of them individually, as well as part of a collective blessing. Now, when my worlds collide, there is no confusion, no fear, no resentment, and I am free to be myself, not the guy I am within any crowd. Now I can try to help make the world the kind of place I have always wanted to live in, now that my life has begun. I'm gonna leave off with this one. Al Purdy wrote a book of essays called No Other Country, chronicling mostly everyday people across Canada. There's also essays about people like uh, Milton Acorn and then uh, uh, Irving Layton and Brian Glennie who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time but uh, the essay that really spoke to me was uh, uh, one, one that's about the Harbor, Harbor, uh, Harbor Deep Newfoundland my family is from St. John's Newfoundland this is all the way down there inspired by no other country it was in the province of Newfoundland the land of my forefathers and one mother where Al Purdy went to do the deed. Incidentally, do not call it Newfoundland. Although this is how it is spelt, the word is not pronounced that way by those who know better. Nor is it to be called Newfoundland. The attempt to rhyme the last two syllables always seems bizarre to me. Perhaps it is meant as a partial concession between mainland sensibility and local dialect. Just call it Newfoundland, if you please. Al Purdy wrote an essay about Harbor Deep, the sort of rugged frontier village on which our nation was built. 
Al Purdy tells us of a place with no roads, no police or doctors, where nearly everybody lives on summer salmon fishing and autumn unemployment. Al Purdy tells us about people named Loaders, Castles, Pollards, and Randalls, with whom he had much in common, only instead of cutting mattresses, they cut fish bellies. Al Purdy was a gypsy. He lived, lived and felt more of Canada than most of us have seen in TV or on TV or in a book. By writing about these places and the people who made them more than a dot on the map, he tells us about ourselves. Thank you, everybody. That's Pat Connors. Let's give him another hand. Thank you. Thank you. And you just heard a reading by Pat Connors in the fourth session of the last day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. And I'll tell you what, uh, let's just, I probably should do this now, and I'll be right back. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136. here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7.
Whatever you're going through, we're here for you. We are the Peer Support Center, a confidential and non-judgmental drop-in space where you can come to talk to a fellow peer about anything at all. We have been supporting students at Queens for at least 10 years now, and it wouldn't be the service we are today without the dedication and care of our amazing volunteers. We also wanted to thank you, Queens. Thank you for all the students for trusting us over the years with your stories and experiences and allowing us to help support you during your time here at Queens. University can be a challenging yet rewarding time, and we want students to know that we are here for them through the good times, the bad, and the in-between. Come stop by the Peer Support Center in JDUC Room 34. We are open seven days a week from noon to 10 p.m. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. And I was going to save this for the end, but I've got a little uh, something here that I need to adjust a bit and uh, can't do it uh, while I'm either playing poetry or speaking on the mic. So uh, instead of playing uh, a track I was saving until the end of the show, we're going to throw it on now. Uh, this is going all the way back to like 1973. I've had a soft spot in my heart for this uh, uh, song since I heard it the first time back then. It's Robin Trower, and it's uh, from his Twice Removed from Yesterday album. The title of the song is called Daydream. <laughs> Oh. 
And that was Robin Trower off of uh, the group's Twice Removed from Yesterday album with a song called Daydream. And I believe it was 1973 when that came out. You're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. <clears throat> I hope you can stay tuned for the second hour today. We're going to have three more readings uh, uh, from uh, the two more, I believe, in this session. Yeah, and uh, one from the final session then uh, coming up in the second hour today. And I should uh, mention again that uh, this three-day poetry festival was uh, that ran from June 29th through July 1st was tied to the larger Artfest Kingston 2009 Full Artist Festival. And uh, I do have just a minute or two in this hour. I should have plenty of time in the second hour to go over events since I've aired this, uh, the song I wanted to air today. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I'm sure a couple of minutes worth of events here, and then uh, what I want to do is also mention that both hours of my show this uh, each week are saved to my blog space for it after I get home, and will remain there four years at Finding a Voice on CFRCFM.wordpress.com. And um, we're moving into a very busy time of uh, the year for literary events. Uh, so I will uh, mention that uh, since we're back in September, we're out of August. There is a weekly uh, writers, write, uh, writers Writing Group that meets every Wednesday evening from September through April at 7 p.m. in uh, room 239 of the Doffer Library to critique, uh, critique and support one another's writing. All genres are uh, a part of that, are all represented. If interested, contact Dave Pratt at dpratt, D-P-R-A-T-T, -T, 1939 at hotmail.com. And coming up, uh, not this week... Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. We're, we're working our way through this month. Uh, there's a book launch and reading at Novel Idea Bookstore. Uh, Kristen Andrichuk uh, will be reading. Whoa. That Attention come students on. at Queens. I had that block, so that wouldn't happen. So, well, there we go. The best laid plans. So. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to finish this announcement. Uh, Kristen Andrichuk will be read and uh, read and launch uh, from her, her latest launch her latest novel called Mother's Genius. Uh, it's uh, published by Guernica, and uh, that's coming up Wednesday, September 11th, uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. at Novel Idea Bookstore. And I'm going to go ahead and do one more because it's the following night. Another book launch and reading, again, at Novel Idea. Uh, Kate Armstrong will read from and launch The Stone Frigate, uh, the Royal Military College's first female cad cadet speaks out. And that's published by Dundurn. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead now and because it's right at 5 o'clock. I do need to air this first. And then I'll catch you about a minute into it, I guess. Here we go.
Attention students at Queen's. Join CFRC, the AMS, the Queen's Journal, and Studio Q for Communicon 2019, a media fair where you can learn about fun opportunities to volunteer and work for each media group on campus and gain translatable job skills for your future career. Communicon 2019 is happening in the Lower Cayley in the John Deutsch University Centre on September 10th, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Swing by, visit our booth, check out our panel discussion at noon, and participate in fun demos, including Studio Q's new drone and CFRC's new Pioneer DJ kit. See you at Communicon on September 10th. And uh, welcome back. Uh, it is now about, like I said, or in fact, it looks like it's exactly 501. Uh, uh, thanks for sticking around for the second hour today. You're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. Here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock, we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. In this second hour, as I mentioned in the first hour, we'll continue with what I believe between today and uh, the first half of the show next week. I think I've got it narrowed down that much. I'll conclude the unaired readings uh, from the three-day poetry festival, Poets at Art Fest 5. And again, these readings were tied to the larger Art Fest Kingston 2019 Artist Festival. In this hour, you're going to hear readings by Abena Beloved Green, Chantal Lavoie, and Paul Kelly. Just the usual hourly announcement. Uh, occasionally, some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So up first, and from... Uh, the I've got final poet here, but I think it's next to last. Next to the last poet uh, of the uh, fourth round. I'm second-guessing myself here. Uh, from the fourth round of the th- last day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. On this happened on July 1st. Here is Abena Beloved Green. Up next, Abena Beloved Green is a poet, writer, and dancer who seeks to create, engage, and elevate through her artistic work. She was a two-time member of the Halifax Slam team competing in the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word. She is the 2016 winner of the Atlantic Poetry Prize, now Nova Writes, and third place finalist in the 2017 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam in Vancouver, B.C. Abena is the uh, Canadian of Ghanaian heritage who has lived in Nova Scotia most of her life and recently moved to eastern Ontario. She is passionate about sustainability, creativity, and connection between living beings. Her first book of poetry, The Way We Hold On, was published by Pottersfield Press in the spring of 2018. Let's bring up Abena Beloved Green. What I'm going to do is called Butterfly Tales from my CD. Um, If I could tie a string to a butterfly's tail, I'd tell a butterfly's tale of how butterflies hail from places seldom seen. 
Though they land on trees, I hope one lands on me. So over land and sea, I could see through its lens if we became friends. It sounds like pretend, because butterflies never speak. But symbolically speaking, I'm simply seeking a viewpoint much lighter than my own. I'd ask the butterfly what the world looks like. Does the world look right from its perch or its flight? Is the world a delight when you can float to heights any layer of the sky? And can you see us fight from way up there, or is it rare to care for human affairs? Do you look at one another and admire all your colors, the reds, the teals, the iridescent blues? I'll give you iridescent news if you came my way. If you came to stay and share your caterpillar thoughts, tell me, is all from your past life lost? I know you don't write poetry, so where do you store your memories? And would it be okay to trail your trips like fingertips trail lovers' lips? Do you dream in flight or do you dream at night or do you rest without worry or ambition? They say that as the earth spins, a flap of your wings can change the pressure in the atmosphere. Is there an atmosphere to show me all the zones that are windy and moody and hurricane prone with a flap of my lash? Could I do the same thing? Pluck the strings of the earth and let Saturn's ring. Let silence sing like bluebird tones, like morning moans for nighttime's peace. The quiet crease where blackness breathes. Is it wrong to candidly question you so? I just want to know how butterflies flow in changing times from old to new. I've got so much changing to do. Did it feel like you were dying wrapped in a cocoon? Did Chrysalis say to being come too soon? Did this life cycle ruin your caterpillar fun? Did you yearn to stay forever 21? When your caterpillar tissues were broken down, were you broken down by the greens and browns? Blended your bristles into backgrounds and were muffled sounds more than you could take? Did you beat against the fibers? Did your own fibers break? What's it like to push out wings? Did your insides sting? Did your spine spring? Do you tremble with convulsion? There are afternoons I tremble with repulsion that life's guarantees are so dishonest and the path to success such a fickle promise. But I'm making more of this lesson in waiting and wasted time, wasted tears for wasted time. But eventually I realize that this life must be my cocoon. Because if a delicate creature such as you has to break through before you can fly, then why don't I have to bust down some walls to assume the fullness of my new life? So this unrest in my chest must mean I'm just growing wings. And the pressure within is the power I'll sling, because with the strength in me, I can do all things. So I'll untie the string from your butterfly's tail. You told a butterfly's tail without saying a word. A butterfly's tail is seen, not heard. And I never ink into my skin an image of you, but I can feel the rain through this cocoon. I can feel the rain through this cocoon. I can feel the rain through this cocoon. So I'll start penning my own translucent rhapsodies as these virgin wings prepare to break through. Thank you. <clears throat> um, yeah, you can clap. <laughs> You can snap too. I like to know kind of like that you hear me, that you're with me, so that's cool. Um, thank you, Bruce, for this, giving me a space. Um, I'm kind of new here from Nova Scotia, so just kind of, ah, oh, bug right in my eye. Meeting people, so it's lovely to see some new faces. Not in your eye. It'll fall out eventually, I'm sure. So, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Can't stop me. Okay, so um, this next poem is a poem that I found on my computer today. So uh, we're gonna work on this, but I liked it. So it's called Apocalypse of Stardust. 
She is an apocalypse of stardust floating through follicles of human rainbows. She is staggering gypsy flailing from the doorstep of mothers who sent her into deserts knowing that she would suck cactus, find water, flourish, eventually fly. Sometimes mama bird has to push the baby from the nest. Instead of baby steps, we call it fledgling flight. She must remember the secrets of life that lay within the hollow of her most sacred spaces. Does she know there are sacred places? Does she know that worship is her weapon, her activation key? She is tangled majestic. The sound of a thousand bells ringing hallelujahs into the backs of the throats of paranoid countries. She is a final ballad of an echo in this time, this hallowed memory. She embodies redemption, a dream walking the potency of womb and seed, manifestation of the breath of life. She is a woman living in all the dimensions. In one, she is, she is targeted and marginalized, seeking justice and proving innocence. In another, she sees that we are all the same, fallen, but capable of supernatural power that paints love on border walls and puts up ladders that feeds the hungry and blesses the depraved, those seeking asylum and those with the pepper spray. In a higher plane, she is walking ancestor aspirations. She activates angels with her utterings. She laughs as deep as the pool of incarcerated mother's tears. She breaks cages with her words so all migrant children can go free. Look around. Who might she be? rise rise for now as whoever I think you were like for now rise rise crumpled legs fallen chins sunken eyes rise up distressed skin dehydrated heart troubled dream there may be no elixir to fix all that ails you all that has been unhinged but here is some tea some tender some balm some back up in the form of this body these lips, these arms, the balls of these fingers on your shoulders, down your, along your calves. Here are some prayers to rub down your back. Here, take these snaps. This belief that when your heart has swallowed itself, leaving a silence bony as a ribcage, you will remember how this creation was collaboration between rock, hard place, and heaven, between necessary and therapy, you will recall that this assignment is struggle and sanctuary. And you will remember how your presence is a humble proclamation. And you will remember why you wrote it. And you will remember why you are here today. Today. Okay. So now I'm going to do a couple poems from the way we hold on. Uh, yeah. This one to do. Okay, we'll do schoolyard and then we'll do queen. Okay, on the schoolyard we played Red Rover. Held hand. Who here has played Red Rover? people okay on the schoolyard we played red rover <laughs> held hands and called each other over the called ones propelled into interlocked fingers the hand holders tightened their grips but sometimes they let go 
just as a trick. It was dangerous, but people can be like this. They let go when you were running towards them, smiling at them with all of your teeth. One day, this boy called me Blackie. But like white blood cells detecting an invader in my body, my friends rushed to defend me. Another day, a friend told me that our classmate's mother had a nickname for burnt bread. It contained the N-word. By elementary school, I knew the violence of the slur and wondered why a parent would say this to her kid. That must have been when I learned that not all grown-ups were safe. Some could be like children running around with knives, and some could be the blade. I recall another boy calling me violent. He had hit me with a ball, so I took him by the arm and swung him. He was the same boy I overheard telling another, black people say OJ is innocent, even though everyone knows he's guilty. Watch this, he said to me, and turned to me, asked me what I thought. Guilty, I said, just to throw him off. <laughs> I had no opinions about OJ's innocence. I was thinking about 10-year-old things, like short stories and crushes and recycling. Boy says to her, his friend, well, she's different. And that must have been when I learned that not, that must have been when I learned that for some people, my young classmates even, I was not me, I was one of them. That I would have to be clever and still try to blend in, that racism comes in kitty size. I picture swinging that kid like he was a cartoon and I a superheroine. And in junior high, they did call me Hercules. I had won an arm wrestle against a boy. It happened once only, but it was enough to earn the compliment. It's funny how single incidents lead to nicknames seemingly innocent, but for some people, nicknames become caricatures, become rejected applications, become fatal altercations. But I'm being dramatic, right? I used to want to be an actress, a child star like Macaulay Culkin. He was in Home Alone when he was 11, so I used to walk home thinking I had one year left to make it big. <laughs> I had a boyfriend for a week. We sat next to each other watching a movie, and that's as far as our courtship went. We were children, playing pretend, thinking it was serious. We watched movies like Clueless, but we were clueless, as if. On the schoolyard, we used to climb and flip on the jungle gym as if, young gymnasts in training. Like slinkies fresh from the birthday box, we expertly dropped from the top of the dome to the gravel below. We lived lungs first, eyes thirsty, ears open, back when it didn't cost a thing to play. Ooh. When a few of us confessed to each other that we could fly, but kept it a secret because haters gonna hate. Back when playing happened outside, no gadgets are us electronic life. Back when I had upper body strength. Back when you could hold hands with your friends as long as the big kids didn't see. If they did, they would say we were babies. They must have forgotten that holding hands was like cupping magic was like keeping warm a string of secrets, was the simplest sign of friendship. And although we didn't know it, perhaps we were holding on to the last days of our innocence. And I'll do maybe two more. I'll do this one, this is fun. This is slow and steady. about a very underrated and unappreciated animal. Everyone praises the cheetah for its incomparable speed and the gazelle for its elegant swiftness. No one praises the sloth for its mastery of torpidity, for its dedication to living slowly, right? Human beings love to multitask, 
proud of the ability to split the mind four ways like a ripe avocado. Two mushy slices for errands, one to answer emails, one slice to plan this evening's dinner. Concentration has gone to the compost. Human beings pray for daily bread, then stock up on food for days, consume it quickly with little thanks or appreciation for digestion. The sloth appreciates its daily leaves, taking 30 days to digest one. Talk about slow food movement. Sloths are rarely Saturday morning superheroes, never featured on coloring book covers, never the faces on September lunch boxes. Meanwhile, rabbits are bunnies. Bears are teddies, swans are graceful, lions courageous, yet to be slothful is to stroke the neck of a deadly sin. Well, I say the sloth can teach this human to move slow, to chew slow, to groove slow. <coughs> Excuse me. To listen when listening, to eat when eating, to open a book and just read when reading. Sloths can turn their heads 270 degrees but they are considered lazy instead of amazing. The sloth is the keeper of the lost art of living in the moment. Being slothful should mean having mastered stillness and intention, possessing impeccable control. The sloth is unfazed by the propaganda. The sloth never lines up for the rat race. The next time someone tells me I'm being slothful, I will say, thank you. So this is a poem I wrote when I just moved to Toronto like several years ago from uh, Antigonish, Nova Scotia. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but it's my hometown. So after I got over my fear of being on the subway, then I was just like looking at people and how they like didn't look at each other and I thought that was strange. So I wrote this poem because there was one woman who was different, subway woman. She claims the space so quickly there's no time for me to move over. Floral rear end smashes down on my right pinky. She is sitting on a piece of me. I turn my head and see blue blouse embossed with yellow, green, and navy triangles, acute angles parading all over obtuse breasts. Colorful diagonals soar across her chest like fireworks on Canada Day. Her blouse declares festive summer nights into the shrouded subway. She looks at me and smiles. A rare sighting in this city. We underground people make a display of invisibility. You can tell when someone has just come from an isthmus of eye contact and small talk. I used to be one of them. Lacking the power to turn people transparent, to be blank and unmoved and unimpressed. Now I too am underground. I can ignore the elephant of irony pressing us close enough to share breath while we pretend the entire length of train track stretches between us. Subway woman looks too comfortable to be foreign. Her cheerfulness is rebellion. 
an invitation, a dare. So I boomerang my own lips upwards and towards her. And for a few seconds, it is as if we are above ground and playing in a park somewhere, ricocheting laughter like we are the only ones who know what our lungs are for. Back underground, we ignore the risk of forgetting to build brick back over our grins. I don't mind that she has cracked my mask. Now, I don't care that she has nearly sat the book right out of my hand. Beloved Green, let's give her another hand. And you just heard a reading by Avenue Beloved Green in the fourth session of the final day of the three day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Again, that ran from June 29th to July 1st. Up next in it, and as we move into, no, we're still in, uh, we're not in the final session yet, I'm pretty sure. I have misquoted myself here. I believe she was the last poet in this fourth session. So here is Chantelle Lavoie. Up next, Chantelle Lavoie lives in Kingston and teaches in the English Culture and Communication Department at the Royal Military College of Canada. Her book, A Verse, uh, Where the Terror Lies, was published in 2012 by Quattro Books. She has written another uh, titled, uh, This is About Angels, Women, and Men, which she is trying to get someone to publish, and a novel called The Boy in the Chimney. Spring up, Chantal Lavoie. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. I know as long as I project, you will like me, so I'm just going to. I'm just going to project. Yeah, so the first few are, for, are from the new collection and then a couple from, from the last. And I'm fine with applause at the, at the very end. This first one is called Commonwealth. Seems suitable for today, which used to be Dominion Day, as some of you know. Commonwealth. The American I love, the right kind of American the left kind of American, <laughs> laughs at Union Jacks on their own or tucked into our other flags, gently derides the Loyalist Parkway. On the ferry, I explain the reasons for Murney Towers, bright as solitary poppies, here and strategically there. I explain the E in wolf. He calls the letter U I put in humor and color colonized language and mocks postage stamps with the smiling Elizabeth. My best answer to all of this is that we eased out, that the loyalists were the ones who came across well-fed and with good teeth. They knew how to do useful jobs, how to run things, and now without a revolution, very few of us believe in our right to bear arms. But in the park he points out cannons, asks why we decry weapons of mass destruction as we commemorate them. Walt Whitman, he says, believed in necessary violence, although he disliked what a cannonball did to the human body, mass destruction. Commemoration is a curious thing. We're working on diminishing glory without losing history. 
But there's a smugness, you have to admit, in those who come from Kingston, who bloomed easily enough where they were planted, or who came and landed in, say, Skeleton Park, cool and unpretentious and practically the only place to be cool. No one is smug about coming from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, which is where I come from, teen pregnancy capital of Canada, or variously, according to W5, crime capital. Also, wheat fields with the only gold you can eat. Canola like sun drops and fields of flax that are surely, apart from the sky, the best shade of blue. And all this loyalist stuff didn't feel like my history despite learning it in school. A familiar refrain, who painted the lion? I suppose there's a smugness about coming from anywhere in Canada, have or have not because it's not there. Where? It hardly matters, doesn't it? Does it? Although we lose out in this statistic or that about happiness or life expectancy to Scandinavia or Japan, we can live with that. What is happening in Quebec right now makes me want to wear a crucifix on a fine gold chain, something I never do because I still can. I tell the man I love who plans to pull up stakes and come here for the rest of his life, listen. At this point, the Union Jacks are less about British loyalty than the assertion that we aren't American. <laughs> the border is long and undefended. Let us have our brave scraps of red along the water, blowing between the crossings row on row, our almost bloodless transition, our pretense at resolutions and resolve. Saturday, Meg read a poem about the Sisters of Providence, which I found very touching because I spent a year in Guatemala working with the Sisters of Providence, so I brought my, my nun poem, N-U-N, my nun poem, um, which is called Honeymoon. Honeymoon. They breathe the word passion, mouth the word ecstasy, decade after decade, and no wonder... The only brides who remain brides are those of Christ. And even on their knees, polishing, in supplication or in thanks, even handing school books to children the same age year after year and instructing new mothers on what their babies need, advising stimulation, take them off your backs and play with them. Even then they are waiting touching nothing to their faces but soap and water, piercing no holes in their ears for gold. Their virgin lips grow puckered with time and pursing to lick a frugal thread, to thread a needle, to mend a stocking much mended. At prisons and deathbeds, with the flaking flesh of other bodies on their hands, even then they are girls, fresh and graceful, and expect it. I have a friend who would really appreciate that poem. I would like to talk to you about that. <laughs> is it a nun? <laughs> no, but she's got friends who are nuns. She's considered it. This one, uh, someone the other day, I guess it must have been Saturday, um, read out something she'd written in the intuitive 
writing uh, morning, which I couldn't make, but it reminded me of something that I wrote some years back at one of one of Bruce's intuitive writing workshops. And actually, it's called Branches, and these branches are in Skeleton Park from a walkabout that, that I did during that workshop. So it's called Branches. I would leave even myself for you. It might not always be true that wherever you go, go there you are. A petrifying thought, like the mundane terror of nightmares that recur, though they tell me that a dreamless sleep is worse. It gives no rest. Most of the poems I haven't written haven't been written about you. You can see why. When a ghost dies, the sorrow can be awkward. All that nothing multiplied. My memories of you rise into trees, catch on their arms like cotton spider webs. So every night is all Hallow's Eve, tangled up in dollar store investments. What is most lasting is neither nature nor artifice not what is real or isn't real, but the grimy, bone-gray marriage of the two. Um, this is called What They Found When They Opened Up the Wall, and it's a renovating the house kind of home. What They Found When They Opened Up the Wall. Not ghosts or wolves or bricked-in baby bones, of secret child smothered in early breaths. No manuscript, diary, or last will and testament that changes everything. There's not a yellowed newspaper in there announcing war or celebrating peace. Nor tatters left of frugal recipes, dried batter fingerprints to testify the finger brought together butter, flour, sugar, was licked or not and left its mark. Just wires exposed and loose in today's light and boards carelessly nailed and nails that fell. In this not all that aged house I own beneath indifferent clouds on neutral ground. For paper voices look in libraries, museums for amulets, the sky for stars. So I've mentioned nuns and a crucifix and this this is in some ways about faith. It's called insurance and it begins with a quotation from that insurance salesman Wallace Stevens from his Sunday morning and that quotation is she says but in contentment I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. Insurance. It has taken some time, a common era, for our gratitude to fix only on the chance sun for our day and the chance sun for our night, until we can tell the story without cause, just effect. Here we are happening, close enough to a star. Myth replaces myth, logical scrawlings light up darkness, nothing remains invisible. Pain, however, however, pain. It pleads still for explanation beyond tooth 
and claw and crass casualty. Civilization should not allow this. Voices crying in the wilderness demand recompense. Who will pay and take the pain away? Acts of extreme weather must have cause. A god clause given any other name to sweeten the smell. The mind is its own place. No other heaven. Hell. To come here without thinking about mosquitoes ahead of time. <laughs> and because I'm from Saskatchewan, I have several poems with mosquitoes in them. <laughs> so this is um, one of them. And also, Meg was really making me think about poetry of place with her great stuff on Saturday. So this, this is just called Saskatchewan. The geese swarm overhead while mosquitoes flock below. Do you love or hate them differently if I knew, use new words? Reverse the verbs. Swarm, flock. Can you make yourself feel otherwise than the V cleaving the blue sky and the buzzing penetrations without your mind's permission and just because they are? Lakes are joining up now. Farms losing fields to mud. They will come back richer, silted, open to new seeds for other generations and machines. We might call all these things by other names. They will remain beyond our narrow trails of breath and ink, our puny trials and songs, our houses, barns, our tractors, fences, bones. Civilization. All good? Civilization. I'm from a dry province. You were missed before I was born. Where we lie in each other's archaeology is up here. The wind could reach us. Shift a bit of sand, and there we are. My harried bones, yours all a rattle, chanting. What brow won't furrow over which layer most matters? The deepest or most recent? Whether soft brush or cut trench will reach it? That's an easy question. Treasure is buried. And so you and I are not above this. Nothing is beneath us, and nothing washes up. Lakes, post-historical, and shells full of fleshed-out rock will sift through our sedimentary skulls. We'll move down by and by. Two short, short, short ones um, that are kind of kind of environmental, sort of. Um, this is called Le Ménage. Le Ménage. How much closer are we to heaven, waning the new war on microbes, cleanliness being next to godliness? Yes, we're outnumbered by germs. 
still our fear and energy, our probity must count for something against the evolving menace. Kill those germs, I say, unthinking to my niece, holding out my hand, glistening with antiseptic. This is a startling new imperative. But it won't kill me, right? It won't kill me. Little one, I would protect you with my life. Step between you and the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. But I don't know a thing about this darkness. I'm just another grown-up foaming at the hand. These aren't even, what are all these? They're not all mosquitoes, for sure. They've got so many species here. Okay, last one, very, very short, called warming. Warming. Hungry enough, we'd all cannibalize. It's not just for fish anymore. See, the warm northern rains turn polar bear brains from groin to gut when they spy one another. From love to an earlier cause as the ice melts from under their paws. Thank you. Chantelle Lavoie, let's give her another hand. And the group of them uh, then, too, uh, Grace, Pat, Abena, and Chantelle. And you just heard a reading by Chantelle Lavoie in the third, uh, fourth session of the final day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Up next in it, as we move into that final session, here is Paul Kelly. Paul Kelly's numerous poems, uh, essays, and translations have appeared in many journals and anthologies in Canada and the U.S. Kelly's poems have been called perfectly articulated acts of attention, austere, ascetic, and of his most recent uh, book, Matters Music, one critic remarked that it, was, that it is written with the intensity of a last day on earth. His recently completed manuscript of poems is entitled Glean. He lives in Kingston, Ontario. Let's bring up Paul Kelly. to say something about staring into the sun or looking at it. That's all right. I'll, I'll brave it. It's the last day on Earth. You might as well. Right? That's right. Going to go down and... Wasn't that a blaze or something like that? Can you hear me? Okay, because I don't have a big voice and the poems don't want one. So... I'll, I'll just start. I'm going to read you some of the things that appear in Glean. Some are a little bit earlier, and some are more recent. Blame it on my eyes that this spring I've said nothing of the apple blossoms, so white in the May sun, so whiter in its rain, but so whitest where they fall by the history of that fence with their light without intention and where, exact, sleepless, 
dreamers through their darkness. I watch them dig still to the bottom of time. I should say that these are all short, but then I was listening to Chantal and her short, my short, was very short to her. So these are very short, except for this one. Night long, ear deep, I ift, and stretch taut with listening breath, awaiting the coming touch, surely coming. See, there are, are we all right? Yeah, we're all right. Okay. Please, could you start I will. Yeah. Thank you. I have a boat. Night long, year deep, I ift, and stretch taut with listening breath, awaiting the coming touch, surely coming, bearing toward dark places, your night, your you pieces, your you not you, yet. Eyes shutter dawn away, you're again without complaint. A word soft by mistake, under a hammer of pulses, so much, so many, so many names for not enough, so much of it to swallow. Who sashayed into spring with the magnolia at her side, each leg landing on motion itself, each living hand with a hope that whispered her name has placed it. Rose, the gift your voice left for me, where the garden grew over us, a small shelter sung into our bed between autumn and autumn when breath returned to the world its lightward lift to parted lips the body of a name urging warm that red whisper to Miriam in the lasting light of eclipse I stayed in the beating of the blackbird's wings. I heard out my mutterings. With whispers and clicks from the spare stillness, I mean to write again, lovingly, carefully, to you. Of all I see through the splinter in my eye, the only lens ever to make close and clear all that has ever mattered. Lily, lover, comrade, the sky spreads the center of its pink opening over the tree you were hung upon. Tree without shadow, where no birds nested then and nest not there now. Radiant ones, forsaken, this Hosanna is for you. All that love and blood nailed as you to my forgiveness.
Hope blossoms red and pales before the greening heart. An argument of light gives day its name. One kiss, a desert that kindles history. Despair and wonder sleep, breath and limb, thorn and flesh entwine against and with each other. Their flower is called finality. Winds from the past have pushed it into being here. All that you gather, Judas tree, I recite to myself. Several steps to the left of anywhere in the hanging world, as if one may tree in violent con context can I start that again? See, I know how it's supposed to sound. And it's not sounding well. They never do. Several steps to the left of anywhere in the hanging world, as if one may tree in violent context, a century and a half of blossoms, legible, pay court to chaos. Passions of white gape, fastened fasten to a, har a harvest of friends. <laughs> a single word says ripeness and recalls the scattered seed. Squanders of that green time come near, come true. the dog too. Well, he liked it. <laughs> he helped. Perched on the tip of a thorn, come cradled in moonlight, in sheets of tide and stone, silence binds each clod to the spark of a star. Bears this moment as the ever when histories begin their motions and their rests one pulse worth all the pain of having been born. I have another On a breath, the dragonfly alights. The old river barely touches its banks. Trees split from their shade, new forgetting, forgetting, old forgetting. Busy progress adding up subtractions, history's hungry junk extends the burial of days. No escape, no return, no elsewhere, when hard is ashamed of heart. rewrote this one. Here lay a pebble on the stone, on the memory of the gone. Mark here the name, the span of days, the long breath of no more. Far below, stone is sweating, 
in tunnels dug by smoke under the sea. Above us sinks the laughter. Below sinks the scream. Here hold all water and a body can ask. Reach us in this darkness with embraces of light. For we have been aged in hell and have to report and that it is only half finished. A stalk of thorn rises, climbs by light to light, reliable, your only ladder. Thank you very much for listening to us. Paul Kelly, let's give him another hand. And you just heard Paul Kelly, uh, the first poet in the final session of the final day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. And that was held July 1st. And again, mention that... Uh, this three-day poetry festival that ran from June 29th through July 1st was part of the Art Fest Kingston 2019 Artist Festival that ran at the same time. <laughs> Obviously, we were part of it. So there's still two final poets to air, and uh, the readings are too long to try to work them in this week. So you will hear readings by Kate Rogers and Brandon Pitts. Uh, they'll both air in the first hour next week as we conclude all the readings uh, from this year's festival. Tell you what, maybe I should do this first, and then I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio sit, News. Sit back, relax, listen to some hip-hop with the premium plus Friday. Stop rocking till it's time to go. It's DJ professional rocking the show. The fantastic dollar bill every Friday night at 9 p.m. Sit back, relax, listen to some hip hop on the premium plus show. Friday, whatever the crowd hip hop. Just remember the party time starts at nine and doesn't end until ten. Ah, be Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the campus and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM.
I'm David Suzuki. Cut your heat and energy use by 10% and you'll be making a real difference combating global warming. The future is in your hands. Shrink your footprint, grow your wallet, cool the planet. Find out how at davidsuzuki.org. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And uh, I would like to thank you for tuning in today. I've got just a few minutes to go through a few more events and uh, before uh, we move into the next show and speaking of that it's uh, two hours of east coast music a show called saltwater music hosted by rob carnell at the top of the hour and hope you can stay tuned for that as well uh the usual end of the hour announcement i make is i just uh want to remind you that each of you each hour of this uh show each week will be uploaded to my blog space for it uh, shortly after the show ends and I get home. And that address is finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. We'll remain there for four years. And uh, let's try to shoot through a couple of events here that are coming up at least before uh, the next uh, show. And uh, immediately before the next show next week, uh, uh, Queen's Fall Term Writer in Residence has been named. It's uh, Kanisha Lubrin, and uh, she will be the Fall Terms, uh, Queen's University Fall Term Writer in Residence. Uh, she's going to offer an introductory talk a week from today at Queen's, and all are welcome to attend. So. Friday, September 13th from 2.30 until 4 p.m. That will be held in 517 Watson Hall, and uh, that's on 49 Bader Lane. So uh, coming up then uh, a week from uh, tomorrow night, uh, there's uh, an event in Belleville. If uh, any of my listeners are more in that area, uh, I'm going to be a small part, uh, but I will be reading uh, from my new book, my new collection of poetry, An Evening Absence, Still Waiting for Moon, at uh, a monthly series there. It's called Night Kitchen 2. They feature music, poetry, and spoken word. Uh, I believe it runs from September until June of each year, so this is their first one. Uh, There are going to be a number of other musical and variety and uh, poetry events or uh, poetry poets musicians let's do it that way and uh, other performers uh, that evening it's uh, saturday september 14th from 8 to 10 p.m doors open at 7 30 it's at the pinnacle playhouse in belleville which is uh, the address is 256 pinnacle street and uh got one more here it's a week from monday night but i want to get it out there this is an international tour that's going through kingston one night only it's called night of grief and mystery and uh it's um, renowned storyteller uh stephen jenkinson and acclaimed recording artist gregory hoskins and their dynamic band create an evening it says that is part storytelling part concert part poetic 
theater and raucous lamentation expressed in love letters to life. Uh, they've sold out in tours in their 25 North American tour. Says follows on the heel of sold out houses in Australia, New Zealand, England, Scotland, Wales. I'd say it's not to be missed. This is going to be at the Octave Theater, uh, which is located at 711 Dalton Avenue. It's again coming up Monday, September 16th at 7 p.m. And uh, thank you again for tuning in today. I'm going to throw this back on and uh, catch you here next week.